afternoon, everybody, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. I am not Drew DeGrotto, uh, but I am having to serve in his place today. Drew is not feeling well today, so uh, we tried to get this all set up uh, so that we can do it in his stead. Uh, but joining me Drew, today... You can be Drew 2.0. Y- yes, uh, uh. D- Drew Drew 2.0. Sorry, that that's terrible. So we have I, Scott Smelser joining us. And can I be Jeff? Can I be Jeff 2.0? I, I suppose yeah, you could. Jeff 2.0. Okay, yes. Cool. Drew 2.0 and Jeff 2.0. We Perfect. need Jonathan 2.0, but Jonathan is also not with us this afternoon. He has taken a wife. He cannot come. That is right. <laughs> he has a good, uh, a good excuse. Uh, but welcome to everybody. Uh, we're going to be discussing today the life of Joseph, and in particular, the perspective uh, that we can gain from the life of Joseph in the midst of uh, kind of the crazy things that are going on right now. So when we first meet Joseph, it is in Genesis 37, or at least this is when we have more detail about his story, kind of Genesis 37 through the end of Genesis is where we read about Joseph and the various events that happened to him. And what is Joseph's position in the family when we first encounter him? Kind of the favorite. He, um, his daddy really loves him. Kind of seems he loves him more than all the others. He gives uh, him this, this coat that's pretty cool, that's a, a coat that's better than all the others. So I think he's the favorite. For sure. And Jacob uh, comes from a family of favorites. Uh, this, is, uh, this is running the family. Um, Abraham. Uh, had the favorite son Isaac. Isaac had his favorite, and Rebecca had her favorite. And unfortunately, sometimes uh, these bad habits run in g- through generations. And uh, Jacob makes the same mistake in his family. Uh, he has his favorite wife, and her children become the favorites. So here we have uh, Joseph, and then of course, when Joseph it presumably dies, Benjamin will become the favorite. But what else uh, about Joseph is particularly frustrating to his brothers and his family he's a dreamer i mean he's just uh he's always coming up with these dreams that that make it sound like he's better than everybody else you know one of them was you know we were out in the field binding sheaves and lo my sheep it rose and stood erect over all of your alls and and then your sheaves they gathered and they bowed down to my sheaf and then that was it that was all he, he would just leave it at that and, uh, you know, they would interpret that as, are you really going to reign over us? Is that really what you think is going to happen? So they kind of thought he was arrogant. Right. And, I mean, there's some debate. The text doesn't tell us a whole lot about Joseph himself. Uh, he may have been acting arrogantly in some of these things and the way he handled the dreams. Um, uh, Joseph is certainly not a perfect person, as we'll see throughout his story. But Joseph, from this point, is going to go through some things that, I don't know, when we read the scriptures, it's so easy for us to just kind of read over what happens to the different people and think, oh, that must have been hard. But for us, it's just the turn of a page. For them, the, the things that we're about to talk through were years of their life. And these stories are not just fictional stories, but these are reality of trial and hardship and abandonment and and really terrible situations that Joseph is going to have to live through. 
And it's important for us to think through the reality of those things. And it's also important for us, I think it's helpful sometimes to think through how could Joseph have responded to these different circumstances? But then how did he respond? Yeah, I mean, he had every right to to be a jerk about it. He could have just been like, oh, man, I mean, I, I just I keep trying to do the right thing. And I just keep getting knocked back down. Man, the world is just it's out to get me. You know, that could have been easily his attitude. That's right. So as we think about this, um, what is the first trial that Joseph faces at the end of uh, Genesis 37? Uh, what What happens to him when he comes to his brothers? They want to kill well, him. Um, no, go ahead, Scott. Oh, I was just saying they want to kill him. Yeah, they want to kill him. Um, and then Judah has the idea, well, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. Which maybe would have helped their consciences a little bit. But for all they know, he's probably going to die when they sell him into slavery to this passing band of traitors. And so they do. Now, you're Joseph. You are thrown in a pit, um, and we find out a little bit later when the brothers' conscience are, are bothering them when they're before Joseph. They're like, he, he wasn't, we, why didn't we listen to his cries when he cried out to us uh, from the pit? You're in a pit, and then you're sold into slavery by your brothers. How could Joseph have reacted? Well, I mean, he could have acted vindictively. You know, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to go and find them. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to do what I can to make make this right for myself. So he could have acted vindictive, uh, vindictively. I mean, it, that would be one way. Could have just gone into despair and self-pity. Uh, and once he was taken down to Egypt, he could have had a, what happens in Egypt stays in Egypt point of view and just, you know, abandoned uh, faith and principles. That's right. Because he's being taken away from his family, from his favored position in his family. Um, He's going far away from the land of his fathers and from, he could have thought, I'm going Mm -hmm. far away from God. I'm going far away from, uh, you know, his influence and uh, his people. But Joseph doesn't do that. Uh, Joseph, for his other faults, he recognizes that God is with him where he goes. And so he, go, he comes into the house of a man named Potiphar, captain of the guard. And Joseph enjoys another position of honor in Potiphar's house. It seems like he kind of has the golden touch. You know, everything that he is over flourishes and prospers. And Potiphar recognizes that to the point that he puts him over everything in his house that Potiphar only worries about the food that he ate. What's the one thing that Joseph does not have access to? His wife. Potiphar did not intend to him have access to. That, that is very true. That's right. Uh, Potiphar did not give him access, but Potiphar's wife is offering, and maybe offering is too light of a word. She's kind of throwing herself at, at Joseph. Um, and we read in Genesis 39 about this, uh, that Joseph, this is Genesis 39, verse 6. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, 
Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Now, again, let's just back up a step and think about Joseph has been separated. I don't know how many years it's been now that he's been separated from his family, but he's in an exalted position in Potiphar's house. How could Joseph have responded to the advances of Potiphar's wife? Well, why not? I mean, if, uh, I mean, it would surely devastate Potiphar if he ever found out. So she's not going to tell anybody. So, um, yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll give in. Could be one way to look at it. Yeah. What other excuses could he have made at that point in his life? I'm not married. Uh, I haven't had a, haven't had the chance to be with a woman yet. Why not? Why not now while I'm still young? Could have felt sorry for himself and thought I've lost my family. I've lost my relationship with my father. I've lost all my previous bonds. I had time for me to get something. Yeah. And so he could have either taken the pride route or the self-pity route, which is still kind of a form of pride in, in its own way. But he doesn't. Selfish, either way. That's right. That's right. But he does not. He chooses the godly perspective and says, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? And I appreciate that this wasn't just a, a one-time battle where he summons the courage to say no, and then she left him alone. But what does it say in verse 10? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. There's times where we're ready for short-term trials, where it's like, okay, it's, it's a big showdown, and I muster up the strength to, to do this great thing. We're ready for that kind of a battle. But when the battle drags on, and drags on and drags on and we get tired and we start to feel sorry for ourselves, it, it can become a lot more difficult. But Joseph doesn't just stand up on one occasion, but day after day, he refused to listen to her, to be with her. And we need that kind of endurance. We need that kind of backbone spiritually because a lot of times Satan doesn't confront us in just the big showdowns. Now, certainly there are times in our life where we do have the big showdowns, but a lot of times it's the little things. It's the daily grind kind of things. And I mean, and again, I'm thinking about kind of the, the situation that we're finding ourselves in with this coronavirus situation. <laughs> there are some challenging things about this. And one of the challenging things is we don't know how long this is going to go on. We don't know uh, exactly what's going to happen. Um, or how long we'll have to deal with this particular scenario. Scott? Going back to what you contrasted between the big showdown and the day-after-day -day thing, um, as husbands and dads, uh, how many husbands and dads, if they needed to, would jump in front of their wife or their children and take a bullet? I hope most of them would, and I'm inclined to believe did a great, great, great many would, maybe, maybe most, hopefully so. Uh, all would be a good number. 
but is does that mean that as husbands and dads on a daily basis we always treat our kids and always treat our wives the way that we should no it doesn't so in some ways it's easier to have a one-time sacrifice and say oh yeah i would do that then and, and and there are people there are people i think that if they were challenged you know curse christ or die would be willing to die okay this is my one big stand but that doesn't mean that uh that in our daily lives we're doing the same thing mm -hmm. that's right and so we have to prepare for the right kind of battle satan will use all the different tools in his armada to to attack us and we have to be ready for those moments where oh if somebody held, held a gun to my head or you know if i had to sacrifice my life for somebody else i'm ready to do those things but a lot of times it's those daily grind temptations that are the things that, that get to us in the end. And so we have to be on guard for both kinds of, of battles and be mentally and spiritually prepared for, um, for the long haul uh, to, to endure in this kind of way. Um, any other comments on Joseph's life up to this point, uh, his being sold, uh, his, his life in Potiphar's house up to this point? So then he finds himself thrown into prison and there are two other prisoners there. Uh, there's the cupbearer to Pharaoh and there is the, uh, the, the baker. Um, and he is given a gift from God, the ability to interpret these dreams. And it is notable to me that he says, Hey, interpretations belong to God. He's given God the credit for those things. But he interprets these two men's dreams. Of course, one of them is exalted. One of them is killed. Yep. The, the cupbearer, he gets a pretty good reading. And so the baker's like, hey, why don't you go ahead and read me while you're at it? And uh, it's not the same, same reading. That, that is right. And this leads to um, the opportunity for Joseph to get out of prison. And... This would have, I mean, again, if you're Joseph, you think after you're thrown in prison, how could Joseph have reacted after Potiphar's wife and Potiphar have him thrown into the jail? Again, self-pity. Uh, woe is me. I can't believe this has happened again. Right. This is what I get for doing what's right. You know, I do the right thing and I suffer for it. I, no good deed goes unpunished. You, you know, there are just these mindsets that are so easy to fall into that Joseph refuses to fall into. He, he does not play the victim card. I really appreciate that about Joseph is he was given every opportunity to just say, really again, after all of this, this is what I get, but he doesn't do that. And so with interpreting the cupbearers dream, he, of course, goes back to work for Pharaoh. And what does Joseph ask him to do? He's going to say, remember me when you come before Pharaoh uh, so he can get me out of here. And unfortunately, he goes. And in the end of verse uh, chapter 40, uh, verse 23, he doesn't remember him. He forgets him. He forgets him once again. Joseph could despair at any point in this. Joseph doesn't know how long he's going to be in prison. 
How long was it at least in chapter 41, verse 1? Uh, I mean, he had been in there for two full years before uh, he had even talked to him. Again, it's just so easy for us to read right over that. But after two years of being forgotten, then opportunity comes. Go ahead, Scott. Think about that that you talked about before, the day after day thing. Just you, you go to sleep, you're a prisoner. You wake up, you're a prisoner. You go to sleep, you're a prisoner. You wake up, you're a prisoner. Uh, and at what point might someone decide, what does it matter? Yeah, that's right. Uh, he has so many opportunities to give in to the, I keep saying daily grind, but that, that's a good well, you're thinking about it at this point. I mean, he's probably thinking what else? I mean, he could be tempted to think, I mean, what else do I have to live for? Literally everything I have has been taken away from me. And if he had been putting his value in all that he had, and there'd be no more quality of life. He might as well take his life at that point, but that's, that's not where his value was. And so he doesn't take his life. He presses on and he knows that God will deliver. And something I appreciate about Joseph is wherever we find him, well, at least once in Potiphar's house and in the prison, Joseph is doing his daily responsibilities at an exemplary level. Potiphar yeah. recognizes this guy. I want this guy in charge of, of my stuff. The, the, the head of the prison recognizes. I want this guy in charge of the prisoners. Now, we need to make sure to make the point that it's because the Lord was with Joseph. That is the reason that these things were prospering, but it wasn't without Joseph's participation. He had to get up every morning after being betrayed, after being slandered and still say, I'm going to do what is right today. I'm going to do the next right thing. And that will please the Lord and the Lord blesses him for it. Scott. Um, tying into things going on right now, a lot of people are losing their jobs and going to be losing their jobs. There's going to be some businesses that do not survive this. Hopefully not many don't know yet. Uh, but some businesses that were marginal and now no revenue and, but still having overhead and everything may go under. People may end up out of a job. And people at the end of this may then be needing to look for a job that was not as satisfactory, not as uh, prestigious, not as, you know, income bearing as what they had before. And then what do you do? Well, it, a good thing is to just still go ahead and do a good job. When Joseph gets to prison, he does a good job of being a prisoner. And he gets promoted with, now you're still a prisoner, you know, right. but among the, uh, in prison, you're promoted because you're, because he's doing what you ought to do there. If you, if you have integrity, that can help rise you. It doesn't mean you'll meet all your goals or wish where you would like to be, but it can help you do well, even when life is not treating you well. Yes. And I think one of the things that, helps Joseph, it comes out in at least what he says. The Lord is with me. The Lord is the one taking care of him. The Lord is the one giving him these interpretations of dreams. And when we recognize our dependence on God, when things are going well, if those things go away, 
we're all the more moved to put our trust in the Lord and not in ourselves. And that gives us the strength to do whatever job we need to do, wherever that may be. And because it's not about me, um, it's not about my position or my level of influence. Uh, we just have to serve God day by day with the work that we have to do. So at the end of two years, Pharaoh has some bad dreams. And who remembers about Joseph? That cupbearer. That cupbearer is like, oh, I remember my offenses today. And uh, he says that in Genesis 41, verse 9, I assume the offense there is that he had forgotten Joseph. And so they call for Joseph. And I think this is significant. In, in Genesis 41, verse 14, it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Uh, Joseph has been in the pit multiple times in his life at this point. And the prison here is referred to as the pit is brought out of that pit and interprets Pharaoh's dreams, which is kind of a mixed bag. There's going to be seven years of plenty. There's going to be seven years of famine. Certainly pestilence and famine and natural disasters is nothing new to the world. And that's what Egypt was going to go through. So they needed to be saving up in the good times for the times when things were difficult. And so what does Pharaoh do for Joseph? He promotes him. He yeah. takes him out of prison and even gives him uh, over half the kingdom. It's hard to imagine a bigger change almost overnight for Joseph to go from being in the prisoner. Okay, he's the top prisoner, but he's still a prisoner. To being second in command in the most powerful nation on earth at the time. That's a lot of, that's a really big change overnight. And, and I, said, I, I said that he gave him half his kingdom. I said that wrong. It says in verse 41, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So he gets all of it. Yes. And he basically, it's very similar to what it says about uh, when he's in Potiphar's house. Um, I'm not, you know, he says only in regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Right. Um, so, I mean, he's got the signet ring. He's got basically the power of Pharaoh. Um, He's not Pharaoh, but he's as close as you can get. Mm -hmm. Let me try and, here for our audience to be thinking about. Uh, toward the end of the webcast today, we're going to be looking at some of the foreshadowing from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We're going to be looking at some patterns in the life of Joseph, in particular, that get repeated in the life of Christ. And so if we can have our audience be thinking about that and maybe pop up some of your answers and observations there over in our chat window. Uh, just be thinking of that if you've already thought about it before, studied that before, or maybe as we go through as things occur to you. Right, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, great points. So let's ask our question again. Uh, Joseph is now second in command to Pharaoh. How could Joseph have reacted to that promotion? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if the camera went to you since you didn't say anything, but the big head <laughs> um, after, I, I think it's about 17 years, right? He's about 30 years old uh, when he, uh, yeah, Genesis 41 verse 46, but Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh. He was 17 when his brothers sold him into slavery. It's been 13 years. After 13 years, you finally get out of the pit. And he could have easily lost his perspective and said, oh, 
things are good for me now. I don't really need the Lord's help anymore. I don't really need to give him credit. And well, uh, Joseph still is going to have some godly perspective. Now, again, he's not going to do everything perfectly in all of this, but he is going to uh, hold to his trust in God. So after this, in chapters 42 through 44, we have the encounters with the brothers before they know who Joseph is. What could Joseph have done in that situation? Off with their head. Throw them in a pit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Start digging. Right. I mean, he does test his brothers, and there's some debate over uh, the purity of his motives and all that. But he doesn't kill them. I mean, he could have very easily just said, oh, here they are at my mercy. There's a famine. And now is my opportunity to take vengeance for these last 13 years that are their fault. And he has the power to do it like that. Nobody would question him. Nobody would bat an eyelid if he says, these guys are spies. I want them dead. They'd be dead. Yep. But he doesn't. He puts them through a good bit uh, as far as uh, keeping Simeon behind and the different things, different situations he puts them in, which ultimately I think what we see Joseph doing is he was trying to see if they will repeat to Benjamin what they did to him. He gives them every opportunity to leave Benjamin in Egypt and say, let's just be done with Benjamin like we were with Joseph because Benjamin has become the favorite and let's just continue on. So Joseph deals with his brothers in this way over these chapters. But then finally in chapter 45, Joseph can't contain himself anymore. Um, it's notably after Judah's offering of himself. The, the character of Judah is fascinating to, to follow through the whole Joseph story. They're kind of both main characters in this part of the Bible. But after Judah, in a Christ-like manner, offers himself instead of Benjamin, Joseph can't contain himself and just says, it's me, it, it's Joseph. And of course, the brothers are utterly terrified in this moment, and they, th they think it's going to be over. But how does Joseph react to them after he reveals himself? Kindly. And, yeah. uh, and, and he, he, he wants to see the rest of the family and his father. That's right. And, and Joseph begins to make provisions to bring his whole family to Egypt. He, he's not just going to treat his brothers kindly, but he's going to make provision for the future. And he's going to set up what will be part of God's plan in, in bringing his people to Egypt. They will multiply in Egypt. And then, of course, he'll call them out of Egypt. Um, I just want to flip forward to Genesis 50 for a moment and read about the end uh, of Joseph's life. And then we can talk some about maybe some parallels uh, to the life of Jesus and talk about some perspectives that we can have from looking at Joseph's life. In Genesis chapter 50, in verse 15, this is Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, 
please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of the God of your father. Again, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. How could Joseph have responded once his father died? Like his brothers expected him to. Yeah, they're expecting him to have been harboring up this hatred for them, harboring up this vengeance. And well, I'm not going to, I know the harm that would come to my father if this didn't happen, but now my father's dead. Now I have free reign to take vengeance on my brothers, but he doesn't do that. Scott. Oh, you've got a question. Uh, Attendee says, did Joseph sin? And it uh, might be helpful to answer that both in a general and specifically way. Did Joseph sin during his life and uh, in, his, in the, the record that we see of him? I, I do think there are some times where we see Joseph. Th- there's a lot of ambiguity in Joseph's life with the dreams at the beginning. We don't know his motive for telling the brothers in the way that he did. We technically don't know if the dreams were from God or not. It doesn't say that God spoke to Joseph in a dream. I don't know about that, but I've heard people speculate that the dreams weren't actually from God. That's worth thinking about. Later in his life, though, we see Joseph, or go ahead, Scott. On what basis would that be, since we later have him communicating as a prophet of God, you know, on dreams? His brothers will... And his brothers will realize that those dreams had come true. Yeah, so uh, I wonder where the speculation would come from that this would be a source other than God. I think mainly it's the fact that he, the text doesn't say um, that, that where the dreams came from in Genesis 37. Um, it says that he had a dream and he told it to his brothers. A well, place that... The text doesn't say the the dream was from God, uh, although uh, the dreams come true. So I'd be inclined to say, kind of like along with Hebrews 11, where it just kind of sums up, God spoke to the uh, uh, fathers by the prophets in many different ways, that that include dreams. And I would think that that would be the source here. intended this, especially since he's involved in dreams later as well. Right. Now, Joseph's handling of the dreams may or may not be the way that he ought to do that. Uh, Hey, brothers, guess what? (laughs) We don't know the tone of voice. That that is right. That is right. Um, I do think it's notable that uh, when Joseph is testing his brothers and uh, he puts the cup in Benjamin's sack, Um, In Genesis 44 and in verse 15, it says, Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Mm -hmm. That seems like he's sending on one of two levels. Either he's putting himself in the position of one who can practice divination. We know he was married to a priest of On or the daughter of a priest of On. Um, or he's lying to his brothers and saying, here's how I knew that the cup was in the sack or whatever. Uh, so he, 
that does not seem to be Joseph acting completely uprightly in Genesis forty four fifteen. Yeah, and I'm, 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 I'm certainly go ahead, Chase. I was just going to say, and I'm kind of on the other side of that. I don't really see sin there as much as it is. If, if you're going to take this as sin, I think you're going to have to take it the route that he's just deceiving his brothers in general, um, which would be the whole chapter. But go ahead, Scott. And uh, you know what? I forgot what I was going to say. So go I'm ahead. sorry. That was my fault. No, 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 my fault. Senior moment. So I do think that we see Joseph acting in some ways that are at least ambiguous. Um, but the divination question for me raises a real question in my mind, at least. Um, so as we come to Joseph's life and looking at the end of it, he forgives his brothers. Uh, he actually weeps when they, you know, come to him saying, Hey, uh, you know, our, uh, now he's gonna, he's gonna hate us. Here's what our father said, you know, please forgive your brothers. Um, and he says, uh, Joseph wept when they spoke to him and Joseph says, do not fear for I in the place of God. This is Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones as he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. When we look at Joseph's life as a whole, I think we see the hand of God clearly. And Joseph saw the hand of God clearly in his life. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So what are some parallels to the life of Christ that we see in the life of Joseph? You certainly have the, the theme of, well, being in an exalted position in terms of being in good standing before your own father to then humility being betrayed by your brothers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course, then the exaltation of Joseph is similar to the exaltation of Christ And Philippians two talks about that. So yeah. Yeah. Beloved son hits rock bottom and is exalted to the right hand. Yeah. And he's with two others when he's in the pit, uh, one who is exalted and one who is not. Jesus right. is crucified between two thieves, one of whom is responds in faith and the other of whom apparently doesn't. Right. And then Jesus is brought out of the pit, um, so to speak. He, he is a type of resurrection that happens um, after his humiliation. What other parallels do y'all see? About an audience out there, what parallels do you see? And uh, if you, you know what? I'm not looking at Facebook. Somebody might be answering. I've, I've, I've posted your question on Facebook, and I'm watching it. I haven't seen okay. any comments come through yeah, yet. I'm watching the chat window here. A- anybody else out there? There's so many shadows from the old to the new. Uh, Hebrews 10.1 talks about the law itself was a shadow of good things to come. Uh, Jesus refers to the pattern repeated between himself and Jonah. And there's a number. What else out there do you see uh, in our audience with similarities between Joseph and Jesus? I'm going to give him a little bit here to think about it. Sure. I think that one thing that's important to think about as people are considering that question 
is just how much of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. It, the more you look, the more you see. Um, and most of the prophecies about Jesus happen in the form of shadows. There's a shadow, and then there's the reality that comes in Jesus. M- most of the prophecies aren't. I mean, if you read through the story of Joseph, there's not hardly ever, I don't think, a point where it says, and in future days it shall come to pass, there will be the Messiah who will come and be like jo-. It doesn't say that. But when you read the story of Joseph and you read the story of Jesus and you start to realize, whoa, wait a minute, these parallels just keep adding up. It, it's striking. It's powerful to see just how much Jesus fills the law and the prophets. Um, and this, mm-hmm. I was gonna, we, we had a Facebook comment, so I was just going to read a couple of those from April Star. A willingness to forgive those who attacked him is certainly the case. Um, being in an exalted state to a humbled state and then an exalted again. So yes, wonderful connections there. Amen. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I thought about um, personally, you know, Judah selling Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. Judas is going to sell Judah or is going to sell Joseph for, or it's going to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which is pretty amazing. Which is the same name. Yes. Same name in, in Greek and Hebrew. Judah and Judas. That's right. Yeah. Um, I also thought, thought it was interesting how Joseph will have his garment taken from him, similar to how Jesus will have his garments taken from right. him as well. Right, right. Um, oh, April also says, being a vessel of God's will to save life. That's another really good one. Oh, very That's good. right. Yes. Very good. I'm going to throw up a chart here in, in uh, just a very few seconds. But I want to mention this also, and maybe it's significant because of all these details. Uh, when you stop and think about the patriarchs, so the first patriarch, what's his name? Abraham. Abraham. And he has what son? Isaac. Isaac. And then, of course, there was Ishmael and others. And then Isaac has two sons. Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob has 12 sons, one of which is Joseph. All of these people are in the book of Genesis. Who gets the most chapters about them? I, I suppose. Probably. Is it Joseph? Yeah, it was either Abraham or Joseph. We don't know. Yeah. Abraham much about like Isaac and Jacob. 12 through what, maybe 24, 25? Something like that. And Joseph comes in at 37 to the end. But in, in some of the passages where Abraham's alive, it's about you know, descendants of Abraham. Uh, And so we've got a whole lot about Abraham and probably his name is mentioned the most within the text. Uh, Isaac, how much do we have about Isaac? Not a whole lot, maybe a chapter or two. Not very much. Uh, And significantly, one of the things is a tremendous foreshadow. And then there's Jacob and there's a good bit about him. And there's a few particular episodes like with Judah, Simeon, Levi, etc., but Joseph ends up being getting a huge portion of the book about him in all these different details. So let's throw up this chart right here. And before you do, we had a couple other comments come in about uh, foreshadowings of Jesus. Michael said that Joseph is exalted to the second in command of Egypt. Jesus is exalted as the son of the father, second to the father. And uh, Jennifer says, interesting to me is that Joseph's bones were carried with them out of Egypt. Reminds me of Jesus in some ways. 
Um, go ahead with your chart, Scott. Yeah, if I can get the right one here. Uh, there we go. All right, is my screen being shared? There it is, yes. All right, so Old Testament uh, shadows, looking at Joseph, and let's start clicking through here. Who was the son that was so loved by his father? Joseph. And? Jesus. Yeah, and then uh, who has preludes of greatness announced about him while he's young? Joseph and Jesus. Uh, who's rejected by his brothers? John chapter 7. Both. Um, which one has a conspiracy to kill him? Both of them. Both. Both, uh, both are stripped of a colorful cloak. I'm going to go through these a little bit quicker here in case uh, you guys want to say something here at the end before we run out of time. Both sold for silver. Both put in a hole in the ground. Both mourned as dead. Both brought up from the pit. Uh, both victims of false witness. Uh, why does uh, Joseph go to prison? A false witness. Both are with two other prisoners who one is going to have a terrible fate and one is going to have something better coming for him. Uh, he both rise to the right hand of power. Uh, and then Joseph, after he has risen, uh, he's out of the pit and uh, he meets first with 10 of his brothers, and then with all 11. Jesus will meet first with 10 of his disciples and then all 11. Oh, on that note, Scott, real quick, I, I've seen a very interesting article. Um, I think it was by J.D. Copeland who, um, in the book Beneath the Cross, called Supper with Betrayers. And it goes through a lot of other parallels with the supper that he has with oh. his brothers and I think Genesis 43, and then the Last Supper. Um, there's some very interesting things I had not thought through um, okay. in there. So there's a whole other set of parallels there. Go ahead. Uh, both were thought dead and then seen alive, and, of course, both are reunited with their father. Yeah, very good. And, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's more uh, that, that we could talk about um, uh, Esther commented, those that hurt him will ultimately bow to him. Uh, Esther also asked, does this happen at a certain time every day or week on uh, whose page? Uh, yes, this, uh, this installation of Bible Quest happens every Tuesday at 2 o'clock Eastern. Uh, there's also the Wednesday edition at 3 o'clock Eastern uh, each Wednesday. Uh, this one happens uh, here on Zoom, but also on Scott Smelser's Facebook page is where it's being broadcast. And the other one, Chase, is it broadcast on Jeff's page? Yeah, Jeff Smelser's. Uh, the Wednesday at 3 edition is on Jeff Smelser's uh, page. I stole some of the points on that chart that we just looked at. Yes. <laughs> Who we but wish you could be with us today. You don't have to give credit when it's your own brother. <laughs> <laughs> it's by one of the Smelser well, guys. If I'm going to give blame when it's my own brother, I also ought to give credit. When it's <laughs> <my brother. laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's always tension between brothers, right? Uh, story of Joseph. Neither sold each other to a pit, so we're good. That's good. That's good. You're doing better. So as we think about this, I, I think one of the big takeaways from Joseph's life is his focus on the Lord. Uh, Joseph, throughout the story, talks about God taking care of him. 
God gives him the dreams. God meant this for good. And in the present distress, and really after this present distress passes and every day, we need to be people who are thinking about the Lord and his purposes and thinking about what good is God doing right now? What good can God bring from my life into the lives of other people? And that perspective that Joseph has will help to transform whatever situation in which we might find ourselves. Other thoughts or questions from you guys? Um, I don't have any. Chase, do you have any final thoughts? No, sir. Okay. Well, thank you guys very much for tuning in today. Uh, We'll pick up next Tuesday, uh, Lord willing, at 2 o'clock Eastern. Thanks, guys. Thanks.